perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm personally excited about this episode because we're at Bold starting to do a lot more in the Magento space. We're actually going to be together in a couple of weeks at Meet Magento. And so talking with folks like you is really interesting for me. And especially you've got 20 plus years experience, which I'm going to pull as much out of your brain as I can in this episode. So thanks for coming on the show. And, and can we start, you know, give us a bit of an introduction on you, who you are, and how you got here. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me um, too. Yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, pretty much a programmer coder for over 20 years. I got started in just kind of brute force HTML and old school JavaScript. And then I got into PHP, got pretty heavily involved for uh, many years. And I kind of got stumbled upon Magento. I had some recruiter reach out to me and, uh, uh, yeah, I just uh, kind of dove headfirst into it. It was right when Magento 1.6 was coming out. And uh, the company that hired me actually got me onboarded and trained by Magento itself. So yeah, it just kind of went from there. I spoke at Magento Imagine shortly after that. And uh, yeah, I've been uh, sort of working with Magento projects for a little over a decade now. It's been a little while. But a few years back, I actually started creating educational content for Magento. And I've been doing that since for my own company. Now, have you always been, were you ever on the merchant side? No, I've never You've worked always for, been on the, okay. I've worked with mer- merchants, uh, help them build their sites, but never on the Yeah, market. but you've never been a merchant. Okay. I always, I always ask because sometimes there's that transition, like you start as a merchant and then you start building the tools for, that was how, how Bold started. So I, I find that sometimes is a similar story. Yeah, I've been on the agency side since... I was 15, 16. <laughs> you started. So, yeah. so Magento 1.6, so that was just after like 2010-ish, 2011? Yeah, that seems about right. About 2010. I was working with Drupal a little before then and some open source. I dabbled in Zen Framework actually, which led me into the Magento space. But yeah, around 2010. Now, you have a really interesting story with Magento. Like You started as a developer, you became... An architect, you've written articles, like you mentioned, you've you've spoke at Inspire. Now you have M Academy. You kind of went over it really quick in the intro, but I feel like this is like really super interesting. Yeah, like so I'll back up a bit. So I, I was in Magento One, developed a lot of modules, yeah, spoke at Imagine, just worked on many, many different client sites, custom modules, and all sorts of, of different things. And uh, that was great. It was going for quite a few years. And then Magento 2, they announced, was coming out. And um, that's when I actually started building my own Docker setup. So I mm. have a, a pretty popular open source project called Docker Magento that um, provides a development environment for Magento developers and uh, uses Docker behind the scenes. And I sort of built a, um, a sort of a core package and group of images that just allow you to run Magento so easily. If you've ever tried to install Magento from just on a bare metal server, it would take you just hours to get set up. And then you have to maintain all that and manage it. Things have changed over the years and new services such as Elasticsearch and Redis have been added in. So very complex, but 
yeah, I built this in a development environment and I really did my best to try to learn Magento 2. I was uh, maybe even freelancing at the time and I just could not understand it at all. And um, it got to the point where I got actually very fed up with not being able to learn it that I left the ecosystem. And I actually did the Laravel development for um, quite a while. Uh, it was about a year. And uh, it was kind of a breath of fresh air for me because it was just working with something new and different and everything was new and fresh. And um, it felt like I had unfinished business in the e-commerce space because I, I've been working with e-commerce ever ever since I started development, really. And um, yeah, it just felt like I had an unfinished business and I found a great position that I started kind of back into. I knew the technical architecture aspects of Magento, but I just couldn't get it myself. So yeah, I did some architect level code reviewing and things. And then I eventually started learning Magento bit by bit. And I just started just like, okay, I just have to learn like dependency injection and how this works. Uh, It takes me a while to learn something really. And um, yeah, I just started getting into it piece by piece and finally started understanding and things started clicking in my head as I started just learning every one of these, each of these concepts. And then it occurred to me after I've went through that with quite a bit of material because the documentation is just so large. Magento is such an expansive platform. It's very hard to learn everything. And um, yeah, I just thought, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not the only one having this, this problem because <laughs> I've, I felt like I was a very experienced programmer and I just couldn't get Magento 2. And then I I finally started to get it. And then I realized there's really a gap in the market here. There's not real, the approach that I took, these small two, three, four minute lessons, it really broke things down substantially without you needing to know like five topics to learn one little concept. So yeah. I really, really broke it down. And um yeah, I just went from there and started actually a free course for my Docker development environment that teaches you how it works, how to customize it, how to modify it, and things like that. And then I did go on and start work on my flagship course, which is now the Magento 2 Coding Kickstart course, and uh, just went from there. And who is this aimed at? This is, is it complete beginners, or do you need some, some background in Magento already? My Coding Kickstart was initially someone who maybe dabbled in Magento and just couldn't, they knew bits and pieces of it or they were coming yeah. from Magento 1. I've actually refreshed it, I believe last year. I completely refreshed the course and I took it from more of an, a beginner standpoint and understanding and I actually created a PHP 101 course as well that's completely free. The idea is you can go into M Academy, which is my course business, and you can learn PHP, the basics, you can set up the development environment with Docker and and that, and then get in right into Magento development as well. So as far as prerequisites go, just probably some basic programming experience. And even then, the way I, I broke things down, even in the PHP course, you could probably pick it up if you just have, you know, a basic understanding of programming. Yeah. yeah. And now I was reading you since launching this and devoting yourself, you've you have over 32 hours of premium lessons available. You've got 900 or over 900 registered students, 600 university subscribers. Like, I think these are incredible numbers. Is this, are you just getting started or do you feel like this is? It, 
it feels it's weird. I was just taking a walk today and wondering, like, it still feels like I almost haven't begun yet. That's that's the mm. mentality that I have. It's kind of like a day zero and like every day. Yeah, yeah. And, every day is day uh, one. Yeah. It's after I was going for a couple of years, someone said, Oh, it's it looks like you're just like just getting started with it. And at the time I was so deep in it. I'm like, I'm I'm very deep. I feel like I feel like I'm at like three years in, four years yeah. in when I was really only a year and a half. But now it's like I kind of realized what they were saying. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm actually really like it feels like I'm just getting started because yeah. of all the material I'd like to cover and all the, you know, just so many concepts and things I'd like to cover and things to do. And Magento's evolving all the time too, and there's new things yeah. to learn. Like it's it's almost like it would never end. Magento is so vast. Like it's yeah. it's so deep. Even if you think you know it all, you can just keep going with it and learn more. Like it, it seems to never end because the code is just I think there's over I don't know exactly how many lines of code there are, but there's well over a hundred thousand lines of code there. And you know, there's different architectural patterns that no one's even dove into with Magento. There's different ways of doing things. It's just it's yeah. I, I think that's kind of why I was drawn to it too. And it felt like, you know, at times it feels like a big puzzle that you're trying to figure out. And it's for programmers, we kind of like the challenge of constantly being able to figure out like a puzzle. Yeah. So that Magento definitely aligns really well with that. <laughs> Do you have any kind of a sense on the impact, like the overall impact this has made to the Magento community or maybe to like to, to merchants or brands? Like, do, do you keep track of stuff like that? Like, you've had X amount of students who have launched or worked on how many stores and maybe just like, what has this done to the Magento community? It's always hard to completely tell because I just work for myself, I'm solo, but I hear it in testimonials from students that I've had multiple people come and say, I quit Magento and then you brought me back into it. Other people have said I completely changed the whole, like, I actually made Magento, learning Magento fun, which I've mm. never heard of <laughs> before, my, before my courses. No one would really correlate fun with Magento. So now it's, yeah, it's kind of, I think once you start understanding how things work at like a core level, you actually do find it fun and just a, a big, a big pain. <laughs> is 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 a lot of people doing the courses? Is it for their own knowledge, or are they like are they working for agencies, or maybe trying to start their own, or what what type of person takes your course? It's a balance. It's all types of Magento developers. Really, there's there's people that freelance that don't don't work with a team. There's people that freelance and work with other teams. I'd say a lot of them do work for agencies. I have a lot of merchants enrolled in the course that enroll their in-house development teams and also a lot of agencies themselves. So I do offer team plans as well for agencies that have groups of developers and that is really part of their core onboarding process when they hire a new developer into, yeah. their, into their team. Just out of curiosity, what's the pricing look like for it? The courses are anywhere from $99 to $299. And it just depends on the topic and the material that's involved. And then the university starts at $499, a student per year. And uh, I do offer forever plans and um, team team plans that give pretty good discounts once you get three, four developers, which is really popular with, with oh, the, I see. Uh, agencies. So businesses, right, they buy it and then all their staff get, and that's smart. One of the things I know you mentioned 
you enjoyed being a solopreneur and wearing all the hats. So like outside of Magento development, like the from the business side, building it, marketing it, creating the materials, like budgeting, finance, everything else. So tell me a bit about that. Like what what's that been like and why do you why do you like yeah, wearing all those hats? It's, yeah, it's there's so many hats you have to wear. I I am kind of an entrepreneurial spirit in me with um, my dad had his own business and kind of worked for himself. Tool and die. He was tool tool and die molder and made these molds and sold some products that he made. So I've always had that kind of itch in me to to build a business ever since I was probably eight years old. So I remember selling like lollipops at school, like on field trips and creating these hemp bracelets and selling them. Like I, I was always trying to sell uh, something. So I kind of have that in me. And um, I did some screencasts about eight, nine years ago for another company called Egghead. I just had a really urge to to create these video lessons. I don't know why, but I started doing it for them and gained some experience. And um, yeah, as far as, I mean, that's creating the course lessons though and recording the video and editing it is like, it's just a small part of my business, as I've learned after doing it. It was my core business when I started, and I'll support helping developers out, but it's just, there's a lot of administration tasks that go on. It's my livelihood and my business, so I have to also focus on selling, and uh, selling support, maintenance, new courses, new features, whatever I can offer that would make them learn Magento better. So yeah, there's just so many hats to wear. What do you enjoy more, creating the courses or all the strategy and and the business of it? It's tough to say. I I like both of them. I definitely do like the business aspect of things, but I still very much do enjoy building courses as well and doing the actual lessons. So it's it's a really good balance for me. Could you ever scale it where you have other instructors, or does it have to be you being the? I I have thought about that uh, in depth. <laughs> It's really hard to find someone that knows Magento really well, can create curriculum material for it, or just knows how to present it. And then being able to record, doing the audio, and then the editing. So it's it can split that up into multiple positions, which is probably how it's gonna go about. (laughs) But uh, it's still very hard. Cause the one, you know, one aspect that I really probably could use help with is curriculum development. Mm -hmm. But it's the part I enjoy the most as well. So uh, there's that balance there. Well, and finding you might find someone who's an amazing Magento developer, but horrible on camera (laughs) or can't speak publicly, right? So there's like, you need a a balance and finding that right person. Yeah. And most developers don't like being on camera. I'd say 90 (laughs) plus percent. That's why they're, that's why they're doing development. What's that saying? There, it's a stereotype for a reason, but I, I can very much attest to that because we at Bold, we actually, whenever we would do launches, we used to try to interview the developer to talk about the feature, because <laughs> I, I remember seeing these videos on Google, and you know, a developer would be talking about this feature they built, and we thought, well, this would be cool. Let's get our developers talking about a feature. And there's one day, this one feature, this developer. I think we spent like three hours trying to get him to say like a thirty second clip and he just he could say it perfectly fine but when the camera was on it was so then we thought okay I, I, I can relate a hundred percent to that that's why I'm, I'm shocked that I am actually able to do YouTube videos <laughs> and actually record because I remember a decade ago trying to get interviewed by someone and I just 
shut down. I'm, I'm a complete yeah. introvert, and I, I think I've gotten a little more. Uh, my wife's extremely extroverted, so I think she rubbed a little, a little bit off on me. But yeah, the fact that I'm very familiar with, I am definitely the prototypical developer <laughs> stereotype but, myself. So I know exactly where they're coming from. Yeah. Well, introverts can still be good at public speaking and good in crowds, but it's not what energizes them, right? Isn't that the... Yeah, it's... I think it's, it's like twofold where I think you can train... Anyone can practice and with enough training can learn it. I believe that no matter how bad you are, no matter how introverted you are, you can definitely train yourself to be on camera and speak, speak well. It's just tons of practice. Yeah, the other aspect of... Being on video does not empower me at all. <laughs> Conferences are even tough for me. It's yeah. it's just yeah. it's all overwhelming. And that's to me is the definition of being an introvert is you you can public speak, you can probably carry a conversation with the best of them, but you probably go back to the hotel room after and it's exhausting. Where yeah. <laughs> an extrovert like, is doing all that networking, talking to everyone, and they go back to the hotel room and they're wired. They're just like yeah. on top of the world. And that's the difference, exactly. right? So it's a it's yeah. a big difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to get my uh, my in room delivery and hop back on my computer. Like <laughs> <laughs> this this podcast is just painful for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is fine. <laughs> okay, okay, one on one. So, okay, tell me a little bit about. I think this blends into the learning, Maggie. You built an AI bot to I think to assist with your your learning program, right? Yeah, I was actually getting pretty deep into GPT four at one point. Right when it came out, I had early access to to everything with the API level, and um, I went down the path of I, I saw Khan Academy right after GPT four mm. came out. I uh, saw Khan Khan Academy. I saw his tutor chatbot thing that they built, and I was just floored. I was blown away. I'm like, I have to build this for my own course platform. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, I built a pretty much a custom GPT four app that tutor students on the exact content that they're learning. So every lesson page has a little chat with Maggie button. You can tap it and it, she knows all about the lesson content, the best practices used in it, and you can just talk in free form. Free form text, it's, it's pretty amazing. You can, she'll actually drill you on questions to make sure you understand the topics. Mm. She'll explain it really simply like I do. So it's, it's pretty incredible. Well, I saw the video, I think on the website or somewhere, and it's it's um, someone asking a question. She explains the concept, and then the person's like, I still don't get it. And she's like, well, let me break it down a little bit more, and even more. And like, I could see incredible value on that. Do you have any data on the usage of it? I don't. I am storing everyone's chats, so with the eventual premise of I can actually improve it, and make it better. But yeah, I, I have heard from many people using it that, oh my gosh, this is like a game changer. I'm actually understanding it. She's correct with everything that she answers. So yeah. problem with the GPT is like hallucination and she doesn't seem to have it the way in the way I've tuned it. So hmm. well that qualitative data is as probably as good as as anything, right? So and it's it comes with all the courses, it's not like some an add-on. It's just no, that's it, part of the... Yeah, if you purchase any of my courses or enroll in the university, so any premium offering, it's included. I just completely include it. It's kind of a cost doing business. That's how I see it as myself. Like I almost wonder if someone is like 
they take the course, but they're actually doing some work, some real work, and then they have a question rather than going to like a support, a Magento support forum or something. I'm wondering if like a use case is people go and ask Maggie. <laughs> it very much is. Yeah. Like, so I've tuned her for specific lesson content. So as long as you're on a lesson that relates okay. to what you want to question right. to, I, I've had requests and I'm researching still like a general Maggie. But there are so is there a, is there a bigger bigger picture here like where it's Magento Maggie? <laughs> uh, well, Maggie is it's funny Maggie. Her full name is Maggie Bolt, and she it's it's a play on words of Magento Bot. So it's yeah, the whole she can't answer everything about Magento, but there are things of hallucination you have to worry about with GPT four. Uh, it's a big issue where. It might go on tangents and go off topic a little bit and not be correct. And I don't want that. The bot is supposed to enhance learning and accessorize it, not not be the really main central point. And I don't think it ever will be. But it would be cool to have a, a general Maggie, but there's there's intricacies involved and I don't want to launch anything that doesn't isn't really working fantastic. So um, right now she's working fantastic on the lesson content. But Keep her focused. Um, yeah, the the idea is to have gen- definitely a general Maggie that you can ask any question about Magento, and she'll spit out an answer that's proper, correct, according to all my best best standards yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah, but it's it's a little more complex. Well, on the Magento front, I'd love to pick your brain about some. I mean, you've been with Magento for so long; you've seen multiple iterations. It's gone through different ownership. It's been what's that journey been like from? Back when you started, it was privately owned, acquired by eBay, then private equity, then Adobe. Yeah. What's so that it, been like? It used to be ran by a company called Varian, which they were awesome. It was Roy Rubin and Yav. And they, I can't remember the exact order of events, but I believe right after I started working on it full time, I think like a month later or six weeks later, PayPal acquired it. Or was it PayPal or eBay? Well, eBay. they were the same same <laughs> yeah. company, I guess, at that point. Yeah. yeah, they were exactly. eBay owned PayPal. I think of PayPal because they they pretty much bought it to integrate it with with the Magento platform and strengthen their in the checkout the payment method. But they mm-hmm. only had it for I believe a couple years. But I remember when that acquisition came through, everyone was worried about the acquisition and what was going to happen. And at the end of the day, nothing really happened. Everything Mm -hmm. was just business as usual. Hmm. And eventually got sold off to a private equity group, I believe, another one. And then they bought it under the premise to strengthen the value of Magento Inc. and then sell that, which they did very successfully. They obviously, they sold it to Adobe. I I can't remember the exact figures, but it was a a giant acquisition. And um, that was a little different from the eBay acquisition, I would say, because it's still, it was a little more of a a worrisome event because it was such a big company, Adobe, taking over this small, fairly small company. Um, So I'd say the jury's still out (laughs) with uh, how things are working. But as far, it just took years for them to scale out and get control over all the processes and everything. It's still Basically, if you look at the actual business value and the software that's come out of it, it's been pretty business as usual since they've acquired Adobe. Uh, it's a lot of the behind the scenes of, of things and licensing and support and how all that works, which has been a little bit of a struggle. But uh, 
Have you seen any synergies with other, like their marketing suite or other tools with Adobe that have been positive or still jury still out? Or have, have you seen anything there? I don't follow too much with that. I know that shortly before Magento, they acquired uh, Marketo, which was really popular. Sounds just like Magento. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, as far as I know, everything's just still running fine with that. But I'm, I'm not too uh, familiar with Adobe's acquisition you know, processes and stuff. Why are you so passionate about Magento? Have you worked with other platforms or did, why, why Magento? I, I got my start with e-commerce with a platform called OS Commerce. I don't know if you're familiar with I remember with that. Oh, yeah. 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 It was like one of the first. It was PHP, open source. It might be still around. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it was like... It probably is. It, yeah. It was like very, should I say, sloppy PHP code. It was unstructured. But you can get stuff done in it really fast. So that's why I liked it. That's why a lot of other developers liked it. But then I believe Varian at the time was an e-commerce agency and... They also worked with the OS Commerce, and it's still around. It's still going yeah, strong. Yeah. OS Commerce, yeah. And Stelion, I think, is who's the main developer. But yeah, they they worked with OS Commerce as well, and they saw the same kind of problems with okay, this this can be really highly structured. This can be reorganized. So I know OS Commerce was a giant inspiration for for Magento, and um, Zen Framework was sort of the hot framework at the time. It wasn't Laravel or Symfony or any, anything like that. But um, it was Zend, which is very architectural driven, like more Java-esque code, where it's very mm. structured. So I think I was just drawn to the basic premise that here's this structured code, here's a way, like the way to do something, and this is how you do it. And um, Magento 1 was very, once you learn it, it was very easy to work with. It was definitely a lot less uptake time than Magento 2. Magento 2 is like that on steroids. It's like extremely structured. But uh, yeah, I was just um, kind of drawn to that whole to that whole ecosystem. I loved building custom modules. And uh, I had a lot of data processing modules that I, I've worked with for like import shipping tracking numbers and verifying people's addresses at checkout and things like that when it it didn't exist, so there was like a whole lot of innovation going on after Magento One came out with all these modules that needed to be built on the structured platform. So that was that was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, it's still to this day. I don't think there's any open source e-commerce platform that really competes with it on the same level, at least. I know Shopware is gaining a lot of ground, but still, Magento is like the standard with extensibility, flexibility. You have the full full feature set of like everything you want to do is there. You just have to learn how to do it. Yeah, yeah. Shopware is is gaining ground. Where, where do you see? Have you ever worked with WooCommerce? Just out of curiosity, like probably the two most open sources, yeah, Woo and Magento. Very just, different beasts. Just but. being based on WordPress, it's you know WordPress is great for blogging site, and I know people have built some pretty great sites on on it. I just I haven't been drawn to it. Uh, I might have a bad taste in my mouth from it from a decade ago with all the third-party themes and stuff that was going on with WordPress. But I do know Magento is much more structured with like the ecosystem and how you build things. It's much more enterprise-level code that's reliable and very. It just it definitely does take more effort and work to get something functional in Magento, though. 
yeah. Just there's a slight more. I mean, I've only had my computer hacked a couple times, and it, the few times it has, it's been through WordPress plugins. And so, at least with Magento, I think there's a bit of a higher bar to be to be in the Magento marketplace. Like there's. Well, there's plenty. There's still plenty of bad Magento modules out there. I will say that it's not all. You still have to code review every single module that you install and put in. So, yeah. Can you speak a bit about the nuances between all the different versions? Like we we keep saying Magento, but there is there is Magento one, which is still around. There's actually still a lot of people using it. There's Magento two. There's Adobe Commerce, Magento Enterprise. When there's Adobe Cloud, like just all these different words, and people often use the same. Can you give some context to all those different? Sure. I, I would consider like Magento is like the ecosystem. So right. I say Magento, I'm kind of talking about any any of the correlated projects under it. Magento one has been deprecated end of life for at least five, six years now, I would think. But there is still another project. I'm actually completely out of touch with it. They still run and maintain Magento one and they love it. So there's definitely that is still strong and alive. Magento 2 is sort of the main, that's what you think of with Magento open source is Magento 2 now. It's kind of synonymous. And that's the the open source core of everything that Magento is to offer. Adobe Commerce is actually built on top of Magento open source. And it's basically a collection of modules built by Adobe that lays on top of open source. So Adobe Commerce offers more of a package for more of an enterprise-level business. So mm-hmm. if you want the support hosting by Adobe and the updates from core Adobe team, we just talked about modules and module quality. You don't have to be concerned about module quality that comes out of Adobe because they, they're the ones that wrote all the code. So it's already vetted, it's architecturally sound, and it's constantly updated. So you do get a lot for that value, and I've heard Adobe Commerce Cloud, which is their hosting offer offering, has gotten much better over the years. And you get, again, support from Adobe when you email support. They have access to your code. They host it, so it's just an all-in-one sort of package. And then there's Mage OS, which is a, a newer initiative. So that's, they were actually a, a little bit frustrated with the communication from Adobe, and that's how this all spurred out where Magento open source has been, it's gotten to a point where it's it's just stable and secure. But that said, there aren't too many active updates going on with it, at least active in the sense that there's a new update every six weeks or so. You know, there's usually one major big release a year. So some people like to move faster. So that's kind of where MageOS comes into play, where I believe they offer backwards compatibility or will with open source but they want to innovate at a much faster pace and have more of a, a community-driven code rather than Adobe saying yes or no on pull requests. That so that's in. that's a forked version of open it's source. It's a fork, it's yes. Ter- yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I'm not 100% sure on the stats. They're still working. It's a massive initiative. It's going to take a while to, to really get going, but I do believe it's set for parity with... Magento open source at the moment, and development's going to start on it. So who who heads that up? Is it is it is it a community, a group of people who are passionate about yeah. Magento, and or is it is there a is there money behind that or? 
It's basically a community. I know a lot of the same crew that works on Whova is working mm-hmm. on MageOS. So Whova is kind of a next generation the theming theming concept for Magento. Okay. Sort of strips all of the Magento templating system out and rebuilds it. It's very, very interesting. It's very popular. So it's built on Tailwind and uh, Alpine, I believe, which is just some newer tech than RequireJS and uh, PHTML files. So yeah, it's uh, just a big initiative uh, by uh, Willem and Vinay over on that team. And so they seem to help head up uh, the MageOS initiative. And there's definitely a group of group of people that runs the MageOS community. Who spend much time or do you have thoughts on who is a ideal customer for Magento? Or do you spend more in the on the dev side? I definitely on more of the development side now, but practically it can work for just about anyone, but I wouldn't recommend it for teams that don't have e-commerce as their like main initiative or one of their main initiatives of their business. You know, typically I think it would start at around fifty thousand dollars in the US. So if you don't have that sort of money, I would definitely look at Shopify. I still recommend people Shopify. It's fantastic, but it definitely has some drawbacks and and you know trade-offs that you have to make that instead of using Magento, but so does Magento. Well, it's interesting. Like I respect that about the Magento community. And I've everyone I talk to, they'll say they recommend people to Shopify all the time for a certain size where it's not a there's it's a different different tool for different businesses with different complexity, different needs. And it's more about like it's not one's better, one's worse. It's not like that. It's it's just different depending on what your requirements are. So and I I definitely respect that about the the Magento I, I, community. In some yeah. other communities it's it's like paint everything with the same brush. Like Yeah. I think it could definitely be better or worse, but Magento can too. It, it really, yeah, it depends on your your needs. So yeah. if you need like a high level of customizability, flexibility, you want to be able to control the hosting, you want to control the checkout, like you want to customize all those aspects, you can't do any of that in Shopify. Um, like at least around the checkout area. Well, we know that firsthand at Bolt. That's our, <laughs> that's our. <laughs> yeah, and that said, Magento's checkout is a beast. <laughs> and do you really want to modify it? Right? Do you do you need to make these changes? If you don't, Shopify may be a much better solution. Yeah. Well, and this actually, I I'd love to pick your brain on this. And this is me putting on my Bolt hat here for a bit because we've. I don't know how much you're familiar with our background. We 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 grew up. Building apps on Boulder, we started in 2012. At one point, we had 36 apps, got quite big, but we always had this agency side of our company that we did custom work for brands and they kept requesting custom checkouts and for various reasons. And you could always do that on Shopify up until 2020. And that was when they decided to lock down the checkout. We built a, a checkout product that we were using internally to kind of speed the market. Like it had all the taxes integrated and fraud and all the payment providers. And then when a brand would need a custom checkout, it was just faster. It was like, okay, let's just customize the checkout that's you know 60% done. Now let's finish the brand-specific requirements. And then we ended up productizing that. We actually don't do any custom development at all anymore. It's all product and then agencies use it. So one of the things is, yeah, in the, probably in the last year, we've started do, doing a lot more with Magento and I'd love to get your feedback. Like our value that we see in the Magento space is Magento is 
is very flexible. You you can, like you said, it you can do anything you want. The checkout is an interesting space because you want to be a little bit more careful with it. There's we're dealing with PCI compliance and and fraud and credit card details, and it's just it's a little bit more sensitive than dabbling around with a product page or somewhere another a different page on your site. And so what we give brands is the ability to replace their checkout with our checkout. It's still we have two different versions. We have a hosted version, and then, and then we have a headless version that you can you can just use checkout APIs and build any checkout experience you want. And then it gives them so there's you know Magento One, you, like you mentioned, there's still I know for sure there's over twenty two thousand because we're working with PayPal. PayPal's trying to convert all of their customers on Magento One onto our checkout because the, if you're on Magento One right now, you're not PCI compliant, and so that's a bit of a risk. Most people on Magento One have just like accepted that, but PayPal doesn't like it because they would rather all their <laughs> customers be PCI compliant. So they're actually giving our checkout for free to to Magento One merchants. But there's like, I mean, that's not our value. We're not trying to say like be PCI compliant. The value is we we make it so you can have a a modern customizable checkout where you know if you want to put in wallet pays, buy now, pay later's, and still customize it, and then create different checkout experiences based off who the customer is, what they're buying, device they're on, channel they're coming from. So you can actually create different checkouts. So a customer coming from Instagram might get a very accelerated checkout where the products on the checkout page and it's just just express pays like just wallet pays versus if a customer is a log logged in member who's bought from you 10 times before and repeat buyer you obviously want to maybe try to upsell this person or do a lot more in the checkout so you can do on the same store different checkouts based off of customer segments curious to know what your thoughts are on this like do you does this come up a lot with builds? Like, would do you see that as as a value add to Magento Merchants? It's a huge, huge value add to build out. What you just explained in Magento is extremely difficult. So that's you have a great value premise. <laughs> value premise there with with well, alternate checkouts. Yeah, I think the the checkout is you know it's just. You think of you know even Shopify versus Magento, like they basically do the same thing, right? There's add to cart, product detail page, and then checkout. And you can't control the checkout on one, but you can on the other. But you think it's just one aspect of it, but it's the checkout is such a giant aspect of <laughs> of e-commerce. Just you know, it's the most probably the most important part. It's where what yeah. carts get abandoned. It's it's where they decide whether the place is trustworthy and can complete it's it's where it could be optimized right depending on the yeah. device that they're coming from and the, the network so yeah it's just uh, I think that's a great great offering well, <laughs> well that's that's really good to hear coming from you I, I think we certainly think it is I just you know with a platform like Magento it's you know some platforms they're very limited Magento is not limited Magento you can do anything you want but it's a lot of effort and so so there's that, and then and then you you nailed it. Like yes, the checkout is probably the one of the most valuable pages, but also I would say also the the worst performer on your <laughs> on your team. If your site is your team, if you had a player, a piece of your website that like loses seventy percent of customers, like it's just it's mind boggling. Like seventy percent of customers that enter a cart 
never complete a checkout. When they actually get to the payment pages, it's 50%, but that's still like mind-blowing. And I know some people, they'll enter a checkout to see what shipping rates are and do you ship to my country, but that's a, that's a small percentage. Checkouts are, are not optimized the same way the rest of sites are. Like you, can't, you don't even A-B test a checkout. But if you told a brand, don't A-B test your product pages, that would seem bizarre. Don't A-B test. But a checkout is probably as important, if anything, to, to A-B test, but oh, it's yeah. not possible, right? Yeah, definitely more so. Yeah, and if, if it's driven from a SaaS, that SaaS controls your checkout and you can't do Right. <laughs> anything yeah so I face those struggles of my own because I use a course platform I don't I used to have questions back in the day of why aren't you using Magento for the checkout but like it's Magento isn't really learning management system <laughs> it's it's a different premise but like my course platform now I can't control the checkout because I'm utilizing a, a third party for that right I'd love to be but I, I can't so yeah we need to get you to do a course on Bull checkout. That's that's the <laughs> advanced Maybe. level. I'm, there you I go. I just started development of my own course platform, so okay. um, it's a probably a multi-year build. But yeah, you, I was, actually, I meant to ask you that earlier. Do you are you using a so the platform that you're actually using to deliver the course? You're building that. Yes. So I again, I'm sort of the same thing I saw with with Magento and courses and learning. I see with course platform. So I. Mm. I'm a developer too, and I'm I have a highly customized build right now, even though it's running on uh, another SaaS offering, and uh, I have some funky, weird stuff going on. To do what I want to do, and like custom tracking, and um, kind of the front end of the site is separate from from the course platform. So I ideally like a completely programmable interface to call my course platform, like an a- API driven. It just doesn't exist right now. It's funny um, for such a large like I, I think course platforms are going to continue to grow and creator economy and all that. So yeah, I'm excited to see where where this goes because I yeah I just want to use GraphQL to to call my course platform and I want to customize everything and you can't do that with any of the current SaaSes. Is and I'm I have never run courses, but I mean we knew the people at Thinkific. Have you ever looked at okay. them? Yeah. I, I mean, they went they went public recently. Or like, is there? It's interesting that this isn't solved. Like, it is, <laughs> and it's yeah. you know, I, I think development is slowly going more and more into headless because you just want to mm. customize everything, and there yeah. is no such thing as like a headless learning management system. Like, there's where you have a central GraphQL right. server, and you can customize it however you want too. So you you make it extensible as well. So yeah, that's kind of a my. 80-20 side project <laughs> at the moment. Huh. Well, maybe that's a that's a I could see. I mean, that's a need for other people too. Like maybe that's something you then open you open source well, I'm, your I'm open source. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfect. Before we get out of time here, I wanted. I know you're going to be at Meet Magento. I don't know when this episode's going to come out. It might come out before Meet Magento. We're going to try to, but you're giving a talk. I think the title is a something to the extent of when not to use best practices. Can you give us a sneak peek on what that's all about? Yeah, I, I, I thought of this. I, I never really heard a talk on, you know, all, all the talks you hear are best practices for this. Best practices for That was yeah. the first talk I gave. Is here's the best practices for Magento. And I'm like, well, why don't I take the juxtaposition of here's every, you know, why you might not need them. So 
I've seen developers in the past go down like wormholes of everything has to follow best practices and everything has to be correct. It all has to abide by coding standards and yada, yada, yada. You know, there's, it goes down the list. And then in the meantime, no work's getting done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of a very pragmatic type of developer where I kind of even premise of my, my courses is I want you to learn so you can actually learn it and use it in the real world. Now it's not like theory and just academic academia. Like it's mm-hmm. it's actual. You're learning it to use it in the real world yeah. to get stuff done. And I see the same kind of problems with uh, kind of blindly following every single best practice out there. So that's yeah. Heads up of what that's. So are you going to outline some specific ones where? I saw a blog post the other day, and it's the, the, I, it's funny because you saw your title. The, the title of this blog post was. 10 best practices not to follow for conversion optimization. And it was like the first best practice not to follow. It was reduce the amount of clicks. That's like the first best practice. Because everyone says the more clicks, the more friction, the less conversion. When a customer lands on a product page, it should be one click to check out. And then they cited that, well, in lots of instances, for example, higher ticketed items, like if you're selling prosthetics or things that are really expensive like diamonds or jewelry like people don't want a one click checkout they actually want to feel that they're being catered to what's the word curated to so like if i'm buying a diamond ring or something online i want i and i go through a questionnaire where it asks me questions about what is this for is it for engagement is it for an anniversary is it for a wedding gift is it Valentine's, tell me about the person you're buying it for. What do they like? Blah, blah, blah. You answer a bunch of questions. And at the end, it says, these are the three rings that we recommend based off of everything we know about you. Now, I just introduced like 10 more clicks and a lot more time, but the conversion actually goes up. And so yeah. and I- there's scenario that's where like, don't follow this best practice. And then they give an example and they gave 10 of those. Don't follow this 10. This is, is that's it really interesting because, doing- yeah, what you outlined is definitely a lot. It goes into business psychology. Of you want to make someone for a higher price item, you want them to work for it a little more because when they're more invested into something, they're more likely to buy it. So totally. that's if you make them work to buy your product, <laughs> it'll, it's no surprise that it'll lead to higher conversions. Yeah. Similar to that, it's it's kind of a take more on not to get so overwhelmed with following every single best practice out there because there are trade offs you can make to to ship. To ship stuff quicker, so you don't get hung up on all the all the details that you don't need to be hung up on. Yeah, and understanding why something is a best practice, and if that why weigh that why, and if that why doesn't really matter, well, then you can maybe avoid I the best practice. Touch base on that, yeah. And there are some things that even in Magento code that everyone swears by that it's you should follow, and there may be situations where you actually don't want to do that because it may be better for your business. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I'll, I'll be at your talk for sure. So I like to end every episode with a, a bit of a lightning round and I ask the exact same six questions and I'll put them all in a blog post one day. So I don't know if you had a chance to look at them at a time or not, but I'm going to fire them off. It's not one word answer, one thought. So what is the biggest mistake you see e-commerce brands making? Mistake e-commerce, or the biggest mistake you've made that you've like with any (laughs) implementation, or probably on the client side, going too too much down the wormhole and architecting something out that shouldn't even be built over architecting. Yeah, 
what's a pet peeve you have when you shop online? Not knowing when I'm going to get the product. Amazon has set the bar, right? Now, if you they don't have. see that on every other site, it's that's the Amazon effect. That's my biggest, yeah. Or yeah. I'll, I'll get a it's shipping here and then you place the order and you wind, find out that it's back ordered for you know four weeks. Yeah. What is your favorite thing about your job? Uh, no one has to tell me any, no one gets to tell, <laughs> tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But you're probably harder on yourself than anyone else would be, right? Yeah, I, I so, definitely have high standards. So that's kind pros, of pros and cons to that. Yeah. What's your favorite online store or the last place you bought something? Amazon. It's like not even close. I've thought about that. And they just relieve every single one of your concerns with yeah. returns, with shipping, when am I going to get it, and customer yeah. support. It's home run. Yep, they do. What is the number one thing you think stores could be doing to grow sales but aren't? Probably personalizing the experience. So, I'm sure there's ways to. I even see like survey survey platforms or ways to ask them questions and drill yeah. down and figure out who they are and cater the page or the site to them. Totally. I mean, you can self-identify right off the bat when you land on a clothing store. Are you a man or a woman? Am I identify as this, and then start changing the site based off of that criteria? Like, yeah, just based on what they click. Right. If I click on men first, you know, I'm exactly, you know. exactly, yeah. This I think will be a good one for you. Our last question is: most of our listeners are obviously they're, they're business owners, they're running stores, or they're they're partners, they're entrepreneurs. You're an entrepreneur. You built your own business. Do you have any favorite quotes or advice or things you live by or anything you, that you could share with other business owners? Ah, oh, that's a <laughs> that's a tough one. Probably don't listen to anyone else's advice. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Like listen to listen to everyone's advice and then make up your own mind. Because there's, I do a lot of things that were very counterintuitive and they yeah. worked. Yeah. And you know what? I love that. It's, there's people that have, they've read every book in the world, read everything. And then there's some people that just have never read a book or they, but they figure it out, right? Like there's, there's no number of advice or wisdom that the world can give you. It's, it's yourself. Mark, this has been um, great. Thank you so much for your time. Where, where, where can people go to, learn more about you, like what social media platforms are you active on, learn about M Academy, or where do you want to send people? Sure. You can find me personally on any on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at my name. It's just Mark Schust, M-A-R-K-S-H-U-S-T. They're everywhere on that same handle. I don't know how I pulled that off. <laughs> and yeah, then, you're um, lucky. <laughs> well, my personal blog is just Schust.com, S-H-U-S-T. And my email is mark at Schust.com. And then my Company is M dot Academy. It's actually M. Academy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me, Jay. Yeah, it has been. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. 